Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 187 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed the super wild card weekend that was. A little odd having three doubleheaders, obviously because of the postponement or, oh yeah, postponement of the Buffalo Bills game, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, it was a decent weekend of football, so let's break it down in this week's edition of my Standout 7. Number one in the Standout 7, just because we've got a lot of games to break down here, and we'll try to be as granular as we can, uh, let's just rule out the Saturday games, number one in the Standout 7, two Saturday blowouts. Um, matchups that, on paper, didn't look that bad. I will admit, and I will say this, I went 2-4 and four this past weekend. Usually, usually wild card weekend for me is a 4, 5, or even 6 win weekend. So clearly your boy had the momentum at the end of the regular season, and then, well, things got iffy when it counted. And part of that was, I picked the Browns to go on the road and upset the Houston Texans. Upset, quote-unquote, a little bit of a pick em. And early in this game... And when I say early, I mean early, because it got out of hand rather quickly. However, it's 17-14 Houston, 12 minutes to halftime, right? We have a weird missed P.I. potentially on a ball to David Njoku. Then we have C.J. Stroud overthrowing Nico Collins. Traded possessions, right? Cleveland gets the ball back, and then, boom, trying to get out of a sack... Just Joe Flacco just throws it up. I don't know if he was trying to throw the ball away. I don't know if he was expecting his receiver to make a play on the ball, which is asking a lot because the receiver had paused the route and then looked like they were breaking towards the end zone um, or straight downfield, rather, whichever you prefer. It was uh, not great. Turns into a pick six. The next drive after the game, we see D'Amico Ryans directly coaching up the DB that makes the play. It's fourth down. They're going for it. And, uh, yeah, Joe Flacco throws a short pass at the yard marker, just barely in front. It gets jumped. In the blink of an eye, it goes from 17-14 to 31-14. And it kind of feels like the game's over, right? Third quarter, it gets to 38. It gets to 45. Davis Mills winds up in the game. It was an embarrassment, of the Cleveland Browns, and realistically, prior to the pick sixes, and this is one of those, uh, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Prior to the pick sixes, not only were they in this game, but they were in a peculiar situation, right? I think their defense, anchored by Miles Garrett, was supposed to be a difference maker in this game, and they just were not in the slightest. I mean, C.J. Stroud goes 16 of 21, 274, three touchdowns. Didn't even have to play the last, I believe, eight-plus minutes of this game. Devin Singletary averaged five yards a carry. Nico Collins looked great. Brevin Jordan, their tight end, 76-yard touchdown. All right. You know, when we get to the playoffs, fluky things happen. Some of the role players start to make big plays. They're made for prime time, and Brevin Jordan, that was a huge one. Saw some John Mechie. Didn't see too much Robert Woods, the veteran, but they didn't need him. 45 points for D'Amico Ryans and the Houston Texans, and it's kind of insane, quite honestly. You could have told me before the game, oh, you know, 
they'll go out there and they'll uh, they'll beat the Browns. Okay, cool. You know, Flacco will throw an interception or two. I think I alluded to that when breaking down this game, that Joe Flacco might throw the ball to the other team. He's been a little risky this year, admittedly. Um, two pick sixes in a playoff game. That is hard, 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 darn near impossible to overcome when your defense really isn't up to the task. Um, the late game in a frigid, supposedly uh, damaging to fans, at least a dozen fans sent to the hospital with, was it hypothermia? And things like that, frostbite from this game. Chiefs playing host to the Miami Dolphins, and the Dolphins just didn't show up to the game. They did not show up to the game. This is not the Miami Dolphin team we had seen all year. And you want to talk about some of the injuries they're working through? I get it. Raheem Mostert in this one, or Raheem Mustard as I take into calling him. Nine touches for 30 yards. It's not enough. Tyreek Hill, we know he's been battling some sort of injury for quite a few weeks now. Jalen Waddle battling an injury. But when push came to shove, one team looked like they've been to playoff games before, and the other team did not. Look, Pat Mahomes didn't light the world on fire. He goes 23 of 41 in this game. He has a huge run on a third down. Rasheed Rice looked legit. He looked like he could and likely will be a number one wide receiver in this league. Now, is he going to develop like that? Is that going to be him every game? I'm not certain of that. You know what I mean? But against the Dolphins, he looked tremendous. And if he can put those numbers up, or at least that level of production, for this playoff run, it got a lot more interesting. Travis Kelsey threw in a couple of drops, I believe, but also had seven catches for 71. Pacheco looked good on the ground. The Chiefs' defense looked great. They gave up seven points. This is a team, I remind you, that scored 70 points in a game this season. 7-0. And in a playoff game, they have seven points. Um, it's not great. It's not great at all. The play calling got kind of questionable, right? Late in this one, a lot of short passes when they really needed to try and make some plays down the field. Spagnolo kind of forced their hand. He's, I mean, look, when are we going to start talking about Steve Spagnolo as one of those dudes, right? We've always heard about guys like Buddy Ryan, Rex Ryan before he was a coach, I remember talks about Ron Rivera. Why does no one talk about Steve Spagnuolo as one of those coordinators who's just adept at making a game plan for a playoff push? You want to say, oh, well, it always winds up a similar game plan. He's throwing pressure at you. Yeah, but, like, it works. I mean, the guy's a multiple-time champion as a D coordinator. Look, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go. Out. Look, I'm biased in this one. He won with the New York Giants. I say in every episode, I'm a New Yorker. It's a tradition at this point. But what do you got to do as a coordinator to wind up one of the all-time coordinators? What do you got to do? What do you got to do to get into the Hall of Fame as a coordinator? Is that possible? Not advocating for it. Not saying it's a must. I'm just pondering out loud. Anyway, what I didn't need to ponder was... uh, What happened to the Dolphins, as we said. Injuries and the cold, it was not friendly to them, and they really, really needed that win over Buffalo. Um, But obviously, they fall to a wildcard spot. They have to play the defending champs in their house, and it's not rocket surgery to see how this one was going to play out. Jumping to 
Number two in the standout seven. We're past the blowouts now. Let's talk... Well, we've got some more blowouts, but let's be frank. It's more fun to talk about Packers-Cowboys than it is either of those games. I don't think there's big changes coming in Miami. There's people debating, oh, can you can you win with Tua? Yeah, I think you can. Cut them some slack. Let's be realistic here. They were playing in freezing temperatures. They had injuries. And I only mentioned the ones on the offensive side. They had injuries to Jalen Phillips, injuries to Van Ginkle. They were signing veteran pass rushers who hadn't even played this season to come pass rush for them in the postseason. Come on. Give them some time. Now, the Packers and the Cowboys is a different discussion. There was no weather in this game. They were in a dome. And uh, if you're the Cowboys, maybe you should have hoped for a little bit of a little bit of interference on the weather front because this game started with an eight-minute tone setter by the Green Bay Packers. 7 nothing before you know it. Jair Alexander interception, and it's 14. It is 20 to nothing. It is 27 to nothing in the second quarter. Dallas goes down and scores. Of course, there's an, a false start, perhaps, that LaFleur was angry about. Certainly looked like it. It winds up 27-7. Then it's 27-10, and you're like, okay, maybe Dallas has got some of that. It's time for them to drum up whatever they've got going, and it's 34-10, and this game ends 48-32. So the real reason we're talking about this is uh, something I alluded to in the last episode. And we'll talk about Green Bay in a sec, by the way, and we'll talk about them plenty in the pick'em portion because they get to keep playing. But would it be unheard of, and the, the news has come out that presumably they're not making a move at head coach, them being the Dallas Cowboys. Would it be unheard of to fire a head coach off of a third straight 10-plus win season, third straight playoff appearance? I mean, Marty Schottenheimer won 15 games with the Chargers, and eventually he was kicked to the curb as well. So I don't really know who else you can put the blame on. You blame the players, obviously. You blame the coaching staff. I think it's, it's intriguing to me how much people really, really, really dislike Jerry Jones. And this is, as I alluded to before, coming from a New Yorker, my team growing up, the New York Giants, played the Cowboys all the time. What is there to hate about Jerry Jones? Like, they're, they're blaming Jerry for this team's failure? J- Jerry needed a head coach, so he went out and got Mike McCarthy, a former Super Bowl champion head coach. There aren't a lot of those floating around, by the way. So he gets a former Super Bowl champion head coach to come in, He's got Dak Prescott, who, for all intents and purposes, is an NFL starting QB. He has 36 touchdowns to 9 picks. He is an upper echelon, and when I say that, I mean top 50%, upper echelon QB in the NFL. In all likelihood, depending on when you're evaluating him, he's a top 10. 36 touchdowns to 9 picks this year, guys. You can't tell me he's not a top 10 quarterback in the NFL this season. I will say this. Why are people jumping to blame Jerry Jones when he gets Dak Prescott, mid-round draft pick, he becomes a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, right? Three-time Pro Bowler. Got MVP votes as a rookie. Comeback player of the year, second place finisher, right? He drafted. He brought in Tony Pollard. He had Zeke before him. 
He brings in Pollard. Everyone goes, well, looks looks like Pollard could be the starting guy. Didn't look like it this year. Okay, they go get C.D. Lamb. The GM, Jerry Jones, has assembled quite the talented squadron here. Why are we jumping to blame the general manager and or owner when the coaching staff has much more of an impact on this team? Or are we just throwing, you know, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater as well. Are we just going to say this? these guys can't perform in big moments? Is this that what you're going to tell me? Maybe Dak just can't win playoff games. Okay, well then what do you suggest they do? And look, I'm an armchair quarterback as well. But what do you suggest they do? Should they have gone for Aaron Rodgers? Do you think Rodgers and McCarthy are itching to work together again? I, I mean, I don't understand. Should they move on from Prescott? Trade him to Chicago. Is, is that an option? Should they try and deal him for someone younger with upside? Or should you call the Jaguars and see if you can flip him for Trevor Lawrence? I'm confused. Because unfortunately, if you're a Cowboy fan, a large part of your future and your playoff success is going to hinge on the shoulders of QB number four, Dak Prescott, entering his 30s. Only ever played for your team. C.D. Lamb looks tremendous out there, right? Jake Ferguson looks pretty good at tight end. Brandon Cooks was a decent contributor this year. On the defense, they have Micah Parsons that everyone tells me is the greatest defensive player since Lawrence Taylor, right? They had some injuries in their secondary. Every team has injuries. You gave up 48 points in a playoff game at home to a quarterback who this time last year, his own fan base was iffy about. 16 of 21, 272, three touchdowns. Oh, by the way, Aaron Jones, 21 carries a buck 18, three touchdowns. So you couldn't stop the pass and you couldn't stop the run. What do you want me to tell you? What do you want me to tell you? And I'll say this, too, and this is the intriguing part. Maybe this will be the capper on it here, on the Dallas point. Dan Quinn, the Dallas defensive coordinator, formerly the defensive coordinator, way back when, of the Seattle Seahawks, Legion of Boom days, formerly the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, was being interviewed this past week or the week before as well, Four head coaching positions because he had done such a good job. Your team gives up 48 points in a playoff game. You cannot get a head coaching job. It should not be allowed. You can't do it. You can't make an argument to me. Oh, by the way, when Dan Quinn was a head coach, his team had the lead in the Super Bowl, by the way. Remember? Remember the the 28-3 shenanigans? Like, just saying. So, I'm not saying Dan Quinn's a bad coach, but... So either it's Quinn's fault, and it's McCarthy's fault, and then we need to make some changes. Okay, well, you're not going to do that. Well, you're not going to make significant changes on the personnel front, are you? So what are you going to do? You're just going to run it back again, and again, and again, and again. You know, I I could do the, the cliche thing at this point and be like, you know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? Yeah. It's a a cliche because it's true. Like, every year, it's this is their year to break through. This is their year to break through. It's not going to happen. I think the talent is there. I'm not crazy about McCarthy as a coach. Admittedly. Let's be honest. Let's say right now, social media or comment section, if where you're listening, has one. 
Social media, as per usual, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. You're hiring a coach for your team. Fantasy draft, whatever, your favorite team. How many coaches you got to get through before you get to Mike McCarthy? Not saying he's a bad coach. I don't think he's bad. You look at his track record in Green Bay. How many 10-win seasons did they have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight 10-win seasons. He goes to Dallas, and he's had three in four years. The guy can clearly coach a ball club. What playoff success has he had in this stop? In Green Bay, he had the Super Bowl to fall back on. Rightfully so, right? He had no playoffs his last two years in Green Bay. They let him go. You know what he had the three years before that? Four playoff wins. Four. You know what he's had in Dallas in four years? One. One win. One postseason win over a Tampa Bay Buccaneer team that did not even deserve to be in the playoffs. Eight and nine. Did not deserve to be in the postseason. That's your claim to fame. Not buying it. Might be time to make a move. We were going to talk about here if Green Bay is a budding NFC power for the next half decade here. I'm going to save that for the pick'em portion. I know you guys love that part anyway, so you know what? We'll throw that in when we stick around because admittedly, the more I look at it, the more I start to think my first instinct of San Fran's going to beat them into the ground probably won't happen. Or will it? Number three in the standout seven. Let's keep it in the NFC. Let's talk about the best game of the weekend. The closest game of the weekend. The only one-score game of the weekend, which is surprising. 24-23 Lions victory at home. Congratulations to the Lions fans out there. I'm sure you've been waiting for this for quite some time. And it is poetic that it happened against your former QB. The man who went out and won a Super Bowl. The man whose trade helped you build this team. My notes on the game are pretty simple. From the Rams' front, 367 yards, two touchdowns for Stafford. It looked good. Kyron Williams was okay. Could have got the ball a little more. Um, Cooper Cup was... He's not the guy that he was. And it's intriguing to me if this is going to be a theme moving forward in his career. Maybe I'm late to the party. Maybe this is already a thing. I mean, he only played 12 games this year, right? 59 catches, 737 yards. That's not bad. Last year, he had more yards, more touchdowns in less games. Granted, they had Puka Nakua. Puka's going to be their number one wideout. Can Cooper take more of an auxiliary role? The other thing to understand, because Cooper went to Eastern Washington, I believe he got his degree. His rookie year, he was 24 years old. He's going to be 31 next season. How much tread is left on the tires? The guy had 145 catches in their Super Bowl year. Tremendous. Look, I don't think his game is wholly predicated on speed or athleticism. He's a good route runner. He can block. He can catch. He needs to get his health right moving forward. If the Rams, and look, in the Stafford window, I think there's still time here for the Rams, assuming we don't get that weird thing we had last year where Aaron Donald's considering retiring and Sean McVay may walk away. That was a little odd. I don't think the Rams' window is closed. 
I'll be the first to admit, I thought it had slammed shut after they won the Super Bowl and all of a sudden, it went downhill. Now, I can be convinced. On the Lions front, Goff looked good, didn't turn the ball over, did the job. Montgomery and Gibbs, quality backfield. I still think Gibbs can get the ball more. I'm sure Lions fans think so too. I mean, 12 touches for 68 yards, like, I get it. Montgomery's good, but I think Gibbs should be the lead back here. Um, depending on matchup, you know, if it's a team where you're going to need to run it down their throat a little more, a little bit more aggression, some power, sure, Montgomery, but Gibbs is so dynamic. Um, but I can't complain. If you're a Lion fan, you can't complain. You got the win at the end of the day. Amon Ross St. Brown looked great. The only questionable thing we can discuss realistically, I thought it was weird there was no roughing the passer on that play that everyone keeps sharing where Stafford looks like his eyes might have flicked back a little bit because he got hit, and then he got hit by McNeil again, slamming him into the ground. They said he was pushed. All right, I guess. Um, And then the other thing would be just McVay going for the punt with four minutes to go. Debating this live, I get where he's coming from. The defense hadn't played that bad, right? At that point, they'd given up 24 points, but in the second half, they'd only given up three, right? So they're getting stops. But with only one timeout, it's just a really weird spot to put your defense into. I get why he did it. After the game, he admitted 2020 hindsight, he regrets it. I'm not going to knock Sean McVay. Super Bowl champion coach, you're allowed to make a mistake now and again. It is what it is. And admittedly, if his defense would have came through, it would have looked like a genius, right? So, down with the ship, as they say. I will use this podium I'm speaking on here. This uh, this microphone I have to talk to you about why, once again, I think the booing Matthew Stafford thing was was pretty cringe. It was cringeworthy. It was obnoxious, and it was unnecessary. I don't think Matthew Stafford. And look, Lion fan, rant at me all you want. Comment social media. You know the deal. I don't think there's any way that you can make the argument that Matthew Stafford ever even wronged the team. You got a haul in the trade. The guy gutted it out for you. Look, I am not an expert on the history of the Detroit Lions. But I would say Matthew Stafford is the best quarterback in the history of the Detroit Lions. Would that be a bold statement? 282 touchdowns, 144 interceptions, 2-1 to touchdown-to-pick ratio. I mean, his last year, 26 touchdowns, 10 picks. A stretch there where he's going 32 to 13, 24 to 10, 29 to 10, 21 to 11, 19 to 5. Only played 8 games that year. What do you want me to tell you, guys? Like, he didn't want to be like Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders and just retire. He wanted to go play for a team that would actually give him an opportunity to try and win. And your general manager wisely called up a team that had recently floundered in the postseason and acquired their quarterback who was on the outs, who has now been your franchise QB and picks that have been useful for the team. I don't understand. Look, for the 50th time in this episode, as a New Yorker, I get booing, right? Players on the Yankees, the Giants, the Knicks, they're booed all the time. 
And I understand rightful booing. I can get behind a rightful booing, right? Poor performance, bad dude, didn't want to be there, plays better on the other team than he did on your team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't say Matthew Stafford has turned over a magical new leaf as a Ram. He's the same quarterback that he was. He's gritty. He's got a big arm. He's willing to put it out there. Leave it out there on the field. You see his eyes rolling back into his head, potentially. Doesn't even go into the concussion protocol. How does that work? It's Matt Stafford. Walk it off. All right, whatever. You're going to boo him, though? Like, that's what we're doing? Like, are you trying to be like all the other, you know, you're trying to be like Philadelphia, get that reputation for the Detroit fan, right? But everybody hates on Philly fans. And they hate on New York fans. So everybody wants to hate on the big city fans, right? Where there's been some semblance of success, right? Phillies won a World Series. Phillies were in the World Series. Eagles won a Super Bowl. Eagles have been in the Super Bowl multiple times. Giants won a couple of Super Bowls a decade and a half ago, right? Mets were in the world. You get where I'm getting at here, right? I, I don't get it. Why would you boo the guy that was your best quarterback in your team's history? Because he happens to have the gall to be successful somewhere else? Newsflash, you traded him. What are we doing here? I don't get it. And, you know, people love to throw around words like classless and blah, 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 and shenanigans like that. I'm not going to lump together a whole city. But I will say, if you were there booing Matt Stafford, it was obnoxious, and you look like a bad dude. Come on. Come on. We don't even need to. We, we love to cross over in other sports. I want to do, we'll do a rant even more so on booing Jerry Krause's widow at the Chicago Bulls event or pregame ceremony they had, but that's a topic for another show. Um, we'll leave that one be, and we'll keep it moving on. Let's move to the AFC. Let's talk Bills Steelers. Now, I said we were done with blowouts, but by way of all the games being blowouts, that's not possible. I will admit, Pittsburgh put up more of a fight than I thought they would. Now, you're saying, Nick, it was 14 nothing at the end of the first quarter. This is true. However, they only lost by two scores, and their offense didn't look utterly terrible. I mean, they lose 31-17 if you take away, and this is a big if, if you take away the Pickens fumble, right, which was a good challenge by Sean McDermott, and the interception in the corner of the end zone, this is quite a ball game. Now, if you're Pittsburgh, unfortunately, you can't take away either of those. They both happened. Um... You also have the other fumble, which looked like it dinged off Friar Moot's helmet, and then they lose the challenge. Really could have burned McDermott, by the way, having no challenges for three quarters in this game. He's quite lucky the team, you know, kept their dominant position and didn't wind up needing those challenges or a challenge or anything. Um, I'd say this. The reason I want to talk about this game is the postponement. I find it interesting that Somehow this involved the governor of the state of New York, whether it be with a travel warning or something or straight up having a hand in the game being moved to Monday. Now, it is not unheard of in the city or town of Buffalo. Would you call it a city? I'll go with city. The city of Buffalo for there to be significant snowfall in the winter. This is not unheard of. Moreover, 
you can play football with snow on the field. Additionally, it looked like there was quite a bit of snow in the stands, as evidenced by at least one fan throwing a snowball at a Pittsburgh receiver while he was trying to catch a ball in the end zone, to no penalty, by the way, uh, or them throwing snow up in the air anytime something good happened for the Bills. Okay. You gotta put the snow somewhere, I understand it. However, I will go on the Steeler fans' side here and say that it certainly benefited one team more than the other to postpone this until the field was more manageable and not covered in snow. Would it have been an ugly playoff game if they played in a blizzard of snow? Oh, yeah. But ugly doesn't mean bad. Ugly means running the ball. Ugly means drop passes and fumbles, and you can't even see the yard markers and what's going on. And oh, by the way, it might be a memorable game. What's wrong with a game being memorable? What's wrong with the game coming down to old school football of we gotta run the ball and we gotta knock the other guy around? I think it's a little unfair that they postponed it to when it's more manageable to when you can throw the football more. Josh Allen, granted, he goes 21 of 30, 203, three touchdowns through the air in this game. And you can say, well, Nick, you know, technically, Mason Rudolph threw for more yards than Josh Allen. So, if I asked you which team had a better passing offense, you would say the Pittsburgh Steelers? No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Don't lie to yourself. This game could have been a little... 13-7 obnoxious, slow-paced slobber knocker that we just don't get anymore. And for some reason, you know, it was just, okay, well, yeah, you know, we don't really care if Pittsburgh's in the playoffs. They're not as big of a draw. You know, Josh Allen's on the cover of Madden. All right, well, we kind of need him. That'll help sell EA some copies. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll postpone the game. Ooh, we can get three doubleheaders. Doesn't that sound awesome for our network partners? Doesn't that sound like a trial run of what they want to do? Hmm. Now, I'm just speaking hypothetically, of course. Wouldn't imply that there was any uh, shenanigans afoot. No. This is all purely hypothetical. Sorry, Steeler fan. You made a run. You got to the postseason. But unfortunately, when it came down to it, Buffalo was just too good. And the snow wasn't there to help you out. Number five in the standout seven. Let's move on to the NFC defending champions, our final game to break down. Let's talk about the Eagles laying an absolute egg. Now, this was embarrassing. And, you know, it's it's odd because everyone seemed to be leaning Tampa Bay so heavy. And as someone that was caping up for Baker Mayfield dating all the way back to last year, you'd have thought I'd have jumped on... The bandwagon. However, I, with my eyes, watched this very Eagle team get to 10-1. and one. I, with my eyes, watched this Eagle team take a lead in the Super Bowl against Kansas City for quite some time in that game. Um, what happened, Eagle fan? What happened in this game? I understand there's no A.J. Brown, but it's 3-0 quick. It's 10-0 quicker. It's 13-3, I mean, it's 16-3, and then, right before halftime, you start, at least I did, to see a little bit of a switch flip, and Philly marches down the field, 
and they make it 16 to 9. And I go, okay, 16 to 9, this is doable. Let's see what happens in the second half. I think they get ball at halftime. Anyway, let's kick the extra point. Let's see what happens. Play a little defense. But then, after an offsides on a PAT, oh, by the way, this was like one of two or three offsides on field goals for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is odd. Um, they go, all right, we're going to tush push and make it 16-11. All right, well, I don't really see how that benefits you much. 16-10, 16-11, it's about the same. But I guess if you're 90-plus percent with some play in one yard, okay, let's do it. And then Tampa Bay stopped the tush push, and I was thoroughly convinced this game was over. You want to yell at me and tell me that, oh, there should have been a face mask? Yeah, maybe. You're arguing to the wrong one. I'm the one telling you they should ban the play altogether. It is what it is. I think once their play that had worked all year long got stopped, it was over. You could tell me it was over before the game started. You could tell me it was over when DeAndre Swift only got the ball 14 times. Why didn't he get the ball more? I don't know. Um, It's intriguing because Baker Mayfield... Looked not so good health-wise against Carolina. Rib injury, lower body injury. They must have hooked him up with whatever they gave Mahomes when he had the ankle injury in the postseason. Because he went out there, and he went 22 of 36 for 337 and three touchdowns. Rashad White was great on the ground, four yards a carry, 72 yards. Kate Otten, somehow, their leading receiver at 89 yards. David Moore had a touchdown on his birthday. Happy birthday. Trey Palmer had an embarrassing touchdown. Mike Evans had 48 yards. Godwin had a touchdown. I mean, it was all clicking for the Buccaneers. And oh, by the way, they win this one 32-9. I talked during the Cowboys segment about how you can't just throw all the blame on Jerry Jones. The team is talented. The coaching staff is supposed to be smart. Someone's got to take this blame. Not just the guy cutting the checks. Well, with Philly, from what I gather from reading some discourse online with some very rational and uh, certainly not reactionary Eagle fans, the person to blame is Nick Sirianni and the offensive coaching staff. And that's an understandable argument. Admittedly, I tend to agree. I'm not a Sirianni fan, so I get it. But... It's, I imagine, hard as a front office employee to convince ownership to make a change at coach when you were just in the Super Bowl last year and you were 10-1 and to start this season. Unfortunately, it's going to be a reactionary move usually when you make a coaching change. So it's going to take at least another year of either coming up short in the playoffs or missing the playoffs altogether before you'll get significant change, I imagine. Is it right? Maybe not, but that's the way I am imagining it's going to be in Philly. And uh, Sirianni's going to be their guy. Do I think Sirianni's a great coach? No. Um, Do I think Jalen Hurts has taken significant steps forward under Sirianni? You can make that argument, right? And I'm not just going to be that guy and say, oh, look, look at all the numbers... He's putting up, uh, in terms of rushing touchdowns, look at his total touchdowns. No. Genuinely, it appears he's a better passer of the football. The last two years, he's at 65 and 66% completion percentage. 
The first year, the year prior, rather, he was at 61. As a rookie, he was at 52 in limited time. I mean, he threw for almost 4,000 yards this year, just under 4,000 yards as well last year. The interceptions are up this year, but that's something that theoretically, going into his age 26 season, can be addressed, right? The rushing yards are significant. The rushing touchdowns are significant, but you can get those touchdowns with a power back or whatever, but the yardage is important. It shows that his mobility is still there, right? As far as injuries go, I don't believe he's had anything super significant as a member of the Eagles. I, Unfortunately, Eagle fan, as long as, you know, cap permitting and some of the free agents they have, obviously, we'll see. It seems they're just going to run it back. It's the same thing as the Cowboys. And I'm not certain that's the best thing to do, but it seems to be that's what they're going to do. Right? You're in a division where Washington next year will probably have a rookie quarterback, right? They're rebuilding. They're going to have a new head coach. Let's see how they approach things. They traded their two best pass rushers in season to stock up for the draft. You're also in a division with the New York Giants where there is Daniel Jones their guy. He was hurt this year. How long is Daniel Jones going to be their guy? Is Dable their coach for the long term? Uh, can they stay healthy? Will Saquon Barkley stay? I don't know. It's likely to be a two-horse race. Who knows how the Giants offseason goes, but likely to be a two-horse race. If you're both hitting the salty run back, it came down to the last week. All right, well, let's see what happens next time. It's unfortunate, I think, if you're an Eagle fan, because this team, unlike the Cowboys, has shown playoff success. You want to talk about a little bit of a Mickey Mouse win beating the Niners with no functional quarterback? That is fair, but you can only beat who they throw at you. And unfortunately for the Niners, their QB got injured and they didn't have a leg to stand on in that game. I do think it's a little unfortunate we will not get a playoff rematch for Niner fans who wanted the uh, catharsis of beating up potentially on an Eagle team. But the Eagles are at home and you're still playing, so I think they'll get over it. Number six in the standout seven. Let's talk about some coaching news and speculation. Bill Belichick, two meetings. Second meeting today, Friday, with the Atlanta Falcons. Is that the best opening? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's a very winnable division. And they do have the makings of a star running back, a star tight end. And I think Drake London is a legit number one quality wide receiver. And if he's not, he's a really good number two if they plan on getting somebody else. Their defense is okay. It's not great. They need a quarterback. Right? Um, is he just going to move down there with his usual coaches he has? Unclear. Where's Steve, Steve Belichick going to be? Right? That's something I've pondered. I don't know if I brought that to the show yet. Gerard Mayo, obviously, is the coach of the New England Patriots now. Presumably owes quite a bit to Bill Belichick. Drafted him. Developed him. Good player. Great player, even. Brought him into the coaching staff. Obviously winds up getting his job after he steps away, let's call it, or there's a mutual parting of ways. Does he feel indebted to Bill that he keeps Bill's son on as a coach? Does Bill's son just go with his dad? Does another random team hire him, like like uh, Marty Schottenheimer's son, bounce around for a little while? I don't know. Just food for thought. Uh, I like the Gerard Mayo hire. I think Gerard Mayo owes quite a bit to D'Amico Ryans, and I think that opened the door his immediate success opened the door to a Gerard Mayo hiring uh, in that situation. Also, obviously, 
has a good relationship, it seems, with Robert Kraft. Um, obviously, Bill building him up over the years on the coaching staff. I like it. It's going to be a hard year for the Patriots. There's going to be some big changes, and it's not just in the coaching department. But let's see how it goes. Uh, the re- leading rumor for Jim Harbaugh is the L.A. Chargers. I see the fit. I like it. You know, you saw what he did for Alex Smith. Can only imagine what he would do with Justin Herbert. Um, are there other fits out there? Well, Chicago's keeping Eberflus, and we saw the team improve, so I tend to think that's probably an okay move. That would have been one that would be intriguing. Um, who's Carolina going to hire? If I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm not setting foot in Carolina. No offense, Panther fan, but it's a big ask. That team is not very good. Um, will the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator wind up getting one of these jobs? Going to have to see after the postseason, presumably, or their postseason exit. Uh, Antonio Pierce all but confirmed. I believe they're finalizing the contract details in Vegas. Yeah, when Max Crosby says he's going to demand a trade if Antonio Pierce doesn't get the job. Didn't say it publicly, but it was leaked that he supposedly said it. Um, yeah, that'll make you hire uh, Antonio Pierce. So, Additionally, we didn't touch on Jason Kelsey reportedly potentially retiring after that Eagles loss. That would be a huge loss in the locker room. Um, the fan base has really grown to love Jason Kelsey. The popularity of the Kelsey family has obviously been a meteoric rise. Uh, brothers playing each other in the Super Bowl to the Taylor Swift stuff and having their own podcast. And, you know, they're all over. So I'm sure that we'll be seeing enough of Jason Kelsey, even if it's not on the football field in due time. Um, another thing I thought was interesting in the coaching Department. Mike Tomlin, after the game, just walking out of his press conference when he was asked about the fact that he has one year remaining on his contract. I was floating earlier in the year, trade Mike Tomlin, right? If this team is going to need a QB, they're going to need someone to help develop this offense. I like Mike Tomlin as a leader of men. I like him as a coach. They haven't gotten over the hump in quite some time. If you want, you can go back. It probably has Tomlin in the, in the description or the name of the episode. We broke down the kind of past tenure of Tomlin here in the last decade. And it hasn't been the most fruitful in terms of postseason success and obviously Lombardi trophies, which is how success is measured for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Additionally, interesting notes, and you guys should look this one up. I won't bore you with all the quotes because we're already in the nitty gritty of the coaching here late in the episode. But Pete Carroll talking about how it was difficult to convey the changes he wanted to make to ownership because they were, quote, not football people. And that's intriguing to me, because I I don't know what the implication is that what changes needed to be made to where he couldn't get it across to ownership. Are they just not on board with making changes at a certain level? I mean, obviously, ownership was on board with moving on from Russell Wilson, which is a huge, huge move for the franchise. And it's a huge move in terms of marketability for the franchise, as he was the offensive star of the team. Intriguing that he would have an issue with ownership and communicating with considering how long he's been there. Makes me wonder, we talked about the amicability of that split, and it was implied at first that it was amicable, and then you start to see some of the other comments that Pete had made, and it definitely seems like it wasn't. Will we see Pete Carroll coaching again at some point? Intriguing. Definitely got some youthful energy to him, even though he is getting up there in age. We'll see. 
what the future holds. Also, wanted to touch on, we didn't mention before, uh, George Pickens, you can't play the Bills and the refs at the same time. I didn't think the officiating was that bad for that game, if I'm being completely honest with you. Maybe I missed some things. Steeler fan, let me know. Um, Maybe a call or two here and there, but I said throwing the snowball in the end zone, that should have that was bizarre that that was not a flag of some sort, but what are you going to do? Weirdly enough, number seven in the standout seven, I wanted to mention this. We've got a beef brewing very publicly between Jay Gruden, former coach of the Washington then Redskins, now commanders, and his quarterback, Robert Griffin III. And the intriguing part to me is why is this a big issue? Like, what are we doing? Jay Gruden took over in 2014. By 2014, Robert Griffin's stock had plummeted. Plummeted. Look, I think Robert Griffin's rookie year is one of the best rookie seasons for an NFL QB ever. Ever. We were talking about C.J. Stroud, right? C.J. Stroud this year, 4,100 passing yards, right? 23 touchdowns, five picks. On the ground, he had a buck 67 and three touchdowns. Not a mobile guy. He's got some mobility to him, but he's not a mobile quarterback. Robert Griffin as a rookie, 3,200 yards. By the way, completion percentage for Stroud, 64%. Uh, Bob Griffin here, as he was called by either OCU Manure or Justin Tuck, 65.6%. 20 touchdowns to just five interceptions as well. He also chipped in 800 rushing yards and seven touchdowns. We're talking about a fully productive NFL quarterback as a rookie and a fully productive running back in the same body. I'm not going to go so far as to go Shohei Otani comparison because it's not Deion Sanders catching touchdowns and covering people or J.J. Watt getting sacks and catching touchdowns, but you get what I'm getting at here. It's very significant. However, we all know what happened in the playoff game, and we all know that it wasn't the only knee injury he would sustain. By the time he was playing for Jay Gruden as the head coach, he would go 2-5, and five, higher completion percentage, but just four touchdowns to six picks. In terms of rushing yards, 175 yards on the ground. In half a season's worth of starts. I don't understand what's going on here, that that the blame is on Jay Gruden for ruining Robert Griffin's career. Um, I thought we all had agreed it was on, you know, the sloppy conditions in that playoff game. By the way, we talked about playing in conditions before. Bob Griffin playing in the rain at FedEx Field. That's what balked up his knee the first time. Keep that in mind. You want to talk about bad turf? Everybody blame the turf for that one. Uh, at least back then they did. I don't know. Maybe maybe Jay Gruden was was the villain, and he had a, a voodoo doll of Robert Griffin. And realistically, this started because of Robert Griffin discussing some quarterback play from the postseason and Jay Gruden commenting, and I guess they started going back and forth. And the reason I wanted to mention it is because of this ether from Jay Gruden in which he said, you weren't good enough, Kirk was better, Cleveland didn't want you, Baltimore did either, Quit blaming me. Wow. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. By the time he got to Baltimore, 
I don't believe there was any chance Robert Griffin was going to be a starting caliber NFL quarterback. It just didn't happen, right? He was there to back up. He, he signs with Baltimore in 18. They already have an aging Joe Flacco and a rookie Lamar Jackson. Where is Robert Griffin's niche going to be in this offense, right? It, it's just not a thing, you know? He was brought in to be a, a veteran mentor type, presumably, to Lamar. That, that's what I assumed. Or be a functional backup while Lamar develops. One or the other. But, I mean, come on. And Cleveland, Bob Griffin was not great. That team was awful. We're going to blame Bob for that one. I mean, he goes 1-4 and four as a starter. Two touchdowns, three picks. Completion percentage was bad. This team went 1-15. They just sucked. They just sucked. The following year after Bob leaves, they go 0-16. With Deshaun Kaiser starting 15 games. Remember Deshaun Kaiser? Me neither. 22 interceptions, 54% completion percentage. With Feed the Crow, Isaiah Crowell as their leading running back. And their leading receiver as Duke Johnson. The running back. Listed as their leading receiver. The Anyway. Um, those Cleveland teams weren't good. Robert Griffin's very, very quick fall from grace... I always assumed was entirely based on the injury. Maybe he believes that he could have been more after the initial injury uh, or the second injury. But it's, you know, for the lack of a better comparison, it's the the NFL fans' Derrick Rose situation. Where you look at Derrick Rose's numbers and you go, wow, man, he was the youngest MVP. ACL injury, repeated knee injuries, and, you know, He's just kind of bouncing around. He's still in the league right now. He's averaging eight a game on the bench, right? He was with the Knicks. He was decent. He was decent with Detroit, but he never ascended to that level of 25 and eight a game anymore, right? Hasn't come close. Hasn't cracked 20 points a game since. It's been a decade. I will say this, though. As far as battling through injuries goes, you want to talk about battling through injuries, let's talk about Andrew Luck. Robert Griffin retired after his age 30 season as a backup for Baltimore, right? He ended his career attempting 1,268 passes. He played two full seasons. There was a benching somewhere in there, some injuries in there, bench again, yada, yada, yada. Andrew Luck was injured multiple times and came back in his final year at 29 to throw half the number of those passes after a shoulder injury cost him a whole year. 639 passes, 67% completion percentage, highest of his career. 39 touchdowns, second highest of his career, 15 interceptions. He goes to the Pro Bowl, he wins Comeback Player of the Year. And then he just goes out. Doesn't want to do it anymore. And I'm not using this as a situation to knock Robert Griffin, even though it may come across that way. But I'm just... I remember when these guys were 1-2 and two and the debate was intense, right? And they were talking about how this could be the best 1-2 of QBs ever. And it's sad that one had his mobility robbed away and realistically his career ended due to the knee injury. And the other sustained a significant amount of injuries and came back, had a good year, and then said, you know what? I don't want to play football anymore. I'm done here. 
kind of sad. It's kind of sad. Um, I completely understand why Robert Griffin, or rather, I, sh- I shouldn't say why. I'm not going to assume. I would completely understand if this irked Robert Griffin to this day. And Jay Gruden could just say, oh, you weren't good enough. Quit blaming me. I think Robert Griffin is blaming the circumstances as a whole. I think he worked his whole life to get to that level and showed that he was every bit as good as everyone thought he was and he could be. And circumstances robbed him of that. And I don't think that kind of regret goes away. Like I said, I'm not using this as a situation to rip Bob. You want to say, oh, I called it an ether by Jay Gruden, because I thought it was quite the line, saying you just weren't good enough. But realistically, I feel bad for Robert Griffin. I think Robert Griffin as a rookie is one of the best rookie QBs I've ever seen. I don't know what his his career could have been. It's unfortunate. But when I say that, I move on to the next topic. I move on to something else. I think about other stuff. Robert Griffin, this is his life. He's the guy that who knows what he could have been. Could he have been Randall Cunningham? I don't know. Look at what Lamar Jackson is now. Look at what C.J. Stroud is now. Look at what C.J. Stroud might be in five years. Could Robert Griffin have done that? What could he have accomplished? It's interesting. And I don't think it's as simple from a personal level as just, oh, just move on. Can you keep it inside? Yeah. But I'm not certain that kind of feeling ever goes away. I mentioned before, sometimes we get philosophical on this show. It's not intentional, but I'm going to be honest. It, it's, it fits. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven. A couple more notes here. What else do I got? Noah Brown for the Houston Texans, to IR. He's done for the year. And that's really all. Yeah. Um, let's get into my favorite part, your favorite part of this week's episode, the Pick'em portion. As we head to the divisional weekend, we've got two doubleheaders. Starting with Saturday at 4.30 Eastern on ESPN ABC, ESPN Plus, ESPN Deportes, and NFL Plus. We've got the upstart Houston Texans, the four seed, heading to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Texans going to be without DN Jerry Hughes with an ankle injury, as well as Noah Brown, as we just mentioned. Questionable, fullback Andrew Beck with a back injury and O-lineman George Fant. Ravens going to be without wide receiver Tylen Wallace with a knee. Tight end Mark Andrews is not going to be activated for this one. And corner Marlon Humphrey going to miss this game with a calf injury. Questionable, wide receiver Devin Duvernay with a back. Linebacker Delshawn Phillips with a shoulder. And safety Ardarius Washington with a pectoral injury. So, will I have the guts to take the Houston Texans to defeat the vaunted Baltimore Ravens on the road? I'm not so sure. While we're here, let's go back to the first matchup between these teams. And oh, by the way, it was week one. 25-9 was the final score. Big second half for Baltimore. It was 7-6 at halftime. C.J. Stroud goes 28-44, 242. Uh... Just under 75 yards on the ground for the Texans in this one. Their leading wideout was Nico Collins. Uh, this is pre-Tank Dell breakout and all those things. Lamar on the other side, 17-22, a buck 69 and a pick. He did not play tremendous himself. Uh, on the ground, two touchdowns for Justice Hill on six carries. Excuse me, eight carries. 
Uh, and J.K. Dobbins had a touchdown in this one as well. Not very productive offensive day for Baltimore, by the way. Texans were worse, but in terms of yardage, a buck 69 through the air for Lamar, just 38 on the ground. For the running game, minus Lamar Jackson, about 70 yards as well. Granted, with three touchdowns. So, do I think that a year's worth of development is enough to make C.J. Stroud more of a threat to this Baltimore defense? Of course I do. Do I think the absence of Marlon Humphrey on the defense and Mark Andrews on the offense are going to play a significant role? Of course I do. However, we talked about this when we talked about Dallas. You need to get over the hump to get over the hump. There is no magic bullet, or pill, in order for me to pick you and believe that you're going to win playoff games, I got to see it. And I think, with everyone having already essentially crowned Lamar Jackson the MVP, this should be their situation. They didn't have to go through the weird drama of having Joe Flacco come back in and, oh, they're going to boo him. They didn't have to go through facing a divisional opponent a third time. They're facing a rookie head coach, granted, one of the better rookie head coaches we've seen in quite some time, a rookie quarterback, again, one of the better rookie QBs we've seen in quite some time, but not at full strength. Tank Dell's not out there. Noah Brown's not out there. What can Nico Collins do against this secondary? What can Devin Singletary, can Damian Pierce contribute on the ground? This is a Baltimore team that looked tremendous against San Francisco, right? Handful of weeks ago, not too far removed with backups playing against the Steelers' A-team, barely lost, to get Pittsburgh into the postseason. As much as the narrative, and especially a buddy of mine who's a huge Houston supporter moving forward, have me contemplating taking Houston in this game, I think it's a lot to ask for a lot of things to go their way. I think Lamar Jackson is one of the best quarterbacks in this league, and he needs to win some playoff games. Otherwise, that MVP is not going to mean as much to people. I think he knows that. He recognizes that. And I think no matter how wise D'Amico Ryans is as a defensive mind, it's easier said than done to shut down an offense which has a true 11 instead of 10. Having the mobility of Lamar, and now in the postseason, go run as many times as you want. As long as you're getting down or you're getting out of bounds, you want to carry it 15 times, go do it. Go win us that game. And I think the Ravens do just that, and they will be hosting the AFC Championship game next weekend. Our second Saturday game, 8:15 Eastern from Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California, on Fox, Fox Deportes, and NFL+. Plus, We've got the Green Bay Packers, the seven seed, heading to take on the 49ers, the one seed. Packers. Going to be without D-lineman Kingsley and Igbare with a knee injury. That's a candidate for the all-pro name team here, coming up in two episodes. Questionable, running back A.J. Dillon with a thumb slash neck. Linebacker Isaiah McDuffie with a neck as well. Corner Jair Alexander, who had a huge interception, but then got nicked up against Dallas with a shoulder slash ankle. And their punter, Dan Whelan, who's battling an illness. Out for the 49ers, D-lineman Cleland Farrell with a knee. And questionable linebacker Dre Greenlaw with an Achilles injury. Now, I mentioned we'd talk about it, so let's do it here. The Green Bay team that just demolished the Dallas Cowboys has a very young receiving core. Aaron Jones as their vet on offense, with A.J. Dillon as a change of pace back, who's also not very old. 
an O-line that is aging, but still looks pretty good out there. Um, a defense that admittedly gave up 30 points, but made plays when it mattered in players like Darnell Savage and obviously Jair Alexander when he's not going out to the coin toss, when he's not supposed to and getting himself suspended, which is bizarre. Is this Green Bay team just when Detroit thought they had their window, right? The Vikings, is Cousins going to be back? Who's going to be their QB? Cousins got hurt. The Bears, is Fields going to take that next step? Are they going to trade Fields? It's our division, guys. We got like a three, four-year window here. We're going to be the best team in the in the NFC North. And all of a sudden, now the Green Bay Packers, with a young QB, a young receiving core, and, you know, I guess the will to win walks into Jerry World and demolishes them. And now they're going on the road for the real test. A lot of people thought the Cowboys were frauds, and obviously they were proven right. But I don't think many people think that the San Francisco 49ers are fraudulent, nor should they. Do I think Jordan Love can go out there and impress me in this playoff game? You bet. Do I think you can make an argument that going into this game, Jordan Love is the better of the two quarterbacks? I do. I think Brock Purdy has significantly more around him. I like the athleticism of some of the players Green Bay has, but they're very raw. Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, when he's even out there. I think they need some more development, some more seasoning, and that'll come with time. This would be a very impressive win for Coach LaFleur and Jordan Love. Do I think they get it done? I don't. I think San Francisco's defense is significantly better and more proven in big games than the Dallas Cowboys. Additionally, I know Purdy threw all those interceptions against Baltimore. I'm not banking on him doing the Dak Prescott and throwing two picks in the first half. Give me San Francisco, anchored by Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle on the offense to go out there and take care of business to make it 2-1 seeds hosting the championship games. That'll bring us to Sunday, 3 p.m. on NBC, Peacock, everyone's favorite, Universo and NFL+. Plus. We've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers heading to take on the Detroit Lions. Buccaneers, questionable. Backup QB John Walford with an illness. Backup running back Chase Edmonds with a toe. And outside linebacker Shaq Barrett with an ankle. Lions going to be without wide receiver Khalif Raymond with a knee. Could be significant. Good explosiveness. Questionable. Tight end Sam Laporta. He played last week and he looked okay with a knee injury. And linebacker James Houston with an ankle. We talked about the Detroit Lions. We talked about the fact that the Detroit Lions went out there and took care of business in an dramatic game against Matthew Stafford, right? The other teams that took care of business big, the Texans beat the Browns. Okay, well, Joe Flacco didn't look great. Cinderella, the it hit midnight. All right, whatever. Pittsburgh losing by two touchdowns. Well, Buffalo was just better. Detroit was faced with the fact that they hadn't won a playoff game, particularly a home playoff game, in quite some time. Faced with the fact that they're going to be taking on their former QB who had left for greener pastures and won a Super Bowl. He cut the ankle weight that was their franchise, and all of a sudden, he was a Super Bowl champion. People like yours truly were talking about if they could stay at this rate, he might wind up a Hall of Famer someday. I stand by that. With that in mind, this game should be significantly less pressure, and I'm taking Detroit. I like Tampa Bay. 
I like that Baker looked healthier and he looked like he was ready to put up some points in a shootout because this one might turn into one. But I think Aiden Hutchinson is going to make his presence felt in the backfield. Amon Ross St. Brown looked great last week. I have no reason to believe he won't look great again. He looks great darn near every week. Um, Maybe we'll see some more Jameer Gibbs just for me. But no, in all honesty, I think at the end of the day, Detroit was the higher seed for a reason. They won more games in the regular season. The consistency of Goff, I think we're getting there. I think Goff's got some demons to vanquish because he remembers that Super Bowl against New England in which he did not play great. The whole offense didn't play great. And if you want to take that away from your legacy, take that away from the way people look at your career, you're going to have to put up numbers in the postseason. And I think he will as the Lions take down the Bucks to head to the NFC Championship game. Finally, we've got a rematch yet again. The Kansas City Chiefs, the three seed, head to Buffalo. 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. CBS, Paramount Plus, and NFL Plus. Injury reports. The Chiefs going to be without wide receiver Sky Moore with a knee injury. Noteworthy from last year's postseason, but hasn't been as used in the offense this year. Also without offensive lineman Wanya Morris with a concussion and D-lineman Derek Nadi with a tricep injury. Questionable wide receiver Justin Ross with a hammy and superstar Kadarius Toney with a hip-slash-ankle. We'll talk about Tony in a sec. The Bills also beat up for this one. They're going to be without Gabe Davis with a knee injury. Gabe Davis, who had about 13 touchdowns against the Chiefs in a playoff game, if memory serves. Also on the defensive side, going to be without linebacker Balen Spector with a back, corner Christian Benford with a knee, and safety Taylor Rapp with a calf. Questionable, more defensive players. Terrell Bernard at linebacker with an ankle. Two corners in Rasul Douglas with a knee and Teron Johnson with a concussion. Huge ones. Depth in the secondary. Chiefs wide receiving core is not tremendous, but if they're going against backups, they might look it. Also questionable, punter Sam Martin with a left hamstring injury. Chasing down a player on special teams last week seemed to pull up lame. Let's see if that makes an impact in this game. I mentioned Kadarius Toney. Because it's worth noting, both teams currently are 12-6. and six. Which means, if Kadarius Toney would have stayed on sides in the play in which he caught a lateral from Travis Kelsey in one of the wildest go-ahead touchdowns you'll ever see, this game would be at Arrowhead. This game is at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. Now, it's also worth noting that somehow, by the way, this is a crazy stat, we are this far into the career of Patrick Mahomes. And this is the first playoff game he will be playing as a true visitor. He has played every other playoff game as a home combatant at Arrowhead with the Chiefs or on a neutral site, as in in the Super Bowl. That is a preposterous statistic to me, considering they've been living in the playoffs his entire tenure. Now, where do I stand in this matchup? The Bills took care of business against Pittsburgh. Nothing they did scared me for this matchup. I think Josh Allen looked pretty good. Didn't turn the ball over through the air. That's all I wanted. They ran the ball a sufficient amount for yours truly. James Cook got 18 carries. We can get that number up, but that's okay. The backup back got eight. Josh got eight of his own. Run the football, Buffalo. I've been saying it for, what, three years at this point on this show? 
If you've been around that long, thanks for sticking around. If not, you could scrub back through the episodes. I've been saying they need to run the ball. However, you know who does run the ball? Kansas City. And Kansas City really impressed me last week. They did. I am still very skeptical of their receiving core, but Rasheed Rice looked tremendous. Will he look that good this week? I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's ready to be that kind of guy. Was it a little bit of a fluke? It just might be. But when you're in the playoffs, you just got a fluke for a month, guys. And then you're Super Bowl champion. Looked pretty good. Travis Kelsey, case of the dropsies, but he looked okay. Right? Pacheco on the ground looks solid. What I'm getting at is, this might be a lower scoring game than we expect. Particularly with the Bills missing Gabe Davis. Right? So they don't have another weapon on the offense, though Khalil Shakir looks pretty darn good when they put him in there. When they finally factor him in, because it's it's a crowded offense, right? We're talking about Stephon Diggs not getting enough touches. Now I can complain about Khalil Shakir not getting the ball enough. There's only one ball to go around, with Kincaid and Knox both featuring in this offense, and they both look solid, right? It's interesting. And quite honestly, I'm stalling as my brain goes through the motions here. Because... I want to say, and I have been saying for weeks, that this is the year that Buffalo gets over the hump. This is the year that Buffalo, after all the struggles they've had, gets to the AFC Championship game. Maybe even gets to the Super Bowl. Depending on, if you missed last week's episode, maybe even takes home the Lombardi Trophy. My picks for the AFC and NFC Championship games were Baltimore versus Buffalo, and San Francisco versus Philly. Obviously, I can't get San Fran Philly, but I could get Baltimore Buffalo. The smart pick would be to take the Bills. They're on the road. Mahomes, how's he going to play on the road as a QB? I don't know. Arguably, certainly I would say maybe. Buffalo is the hotter team. They are the home team, as we just said. But that would entail picking against Kansas City. Last week, in preparing for the postseason, I picked Buffalo to beat Kansas City. I was so impressed with Kansas City's defense that I am going to buck my own trend here, and I'm not going to lie to you folks. I think I'm probably wrong. But something's telling me to take Kansas City. Now, it's not going out on a limb to take a two-time champion, multiple MVP QB with a Hall of Fame head coach. To beat a coach that's never won anything. A QB that's never won anything. He's kind of turnover prone. I don't know. Something's telling me to take Kansas City, so I'm going to. I'm going to take the Chiefs to win on the road. It just might be Deion Dawkins poking the bear a little bit. I don't know if you saw this. Bill's offensive lineman saying, you know, something to the effect of, have fun out there when we get out there this week, Pat. Never been in a road playoff game before. Interesting to me. Interesting. And an offensive lineman, really? Like, of all the people that talk junk to Patrick Mahomes, you get a D lineman, a coach, a linebacker, even an opposing wide receiver or a quarterback will put up our points. You go do your thing. No, an O lineman. Okay, that's intriguing. Um, I think Buffalo should win this game. But as I said, something's telling me Kansas City. So I'm going to pick against myself here and take the Chiefs to pull off the mild upset on the road at Orchard Park. Now, if these picks are correct, that would set up 
Lions at Niners and Chiefs at Ravens would be tremendous games, to be quite honest. Even if all the picks go the opposite way, we'll still get two pretty darn good championship games. And we'll break down those games in next week's episode, because we're at the end of the Pick'em portion and at the end of episode number 187 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Hope you guys enjoy the divisional weekend. This is the last full weekend's quote-unquote slate of games we're going to get. Just two games the following week, then the Pro Bowl, then the Super Bowl, folks. Then we'll be in off-season mode in no time. Join us again next weekend to break down the divisional playoff recaps and look forward to the AFC and NFC championships. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.